If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more streaming platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. It's the OTC podcast. Here we go again, ladies and gents, as we look ahead to this week's Premier League games, including the Master versus the Apprentice. Plus, we look at the nominees for the FIFA Best Awards. And we talk about the recent passing of the icon that was Diego Maradona. Hello and welcome to the OTC podcast with myself and my co-presenter Bradley Morris. How are you doing today, Brad? Oh, did I, happy Black Friday. <laughs> yes. As it was Thanksgiving how, yesterday. How far, are you in, so how far are you in the Christmas shop at this point? I haven't started. Completely agree. <laughs> I'll start next week. It starts today. It starts today. Yes. Well, I'll start soon. Anyway, it's our usual podcast. Later on, we'll be reviewing, uh, previewing the Premier League's games and a look to any big fixtures across the world of Europe. We've got talking points, including how fans in England will be allowed back into stadiums from next week and what impact that what impact that will have on the Premier League and much more. But obviously, we start today with the sad news that on Wednesday afternoon, Argentinian legend Diego Armando Maradona passed away at the age of 60. It is known that he suffered from a heart attack just weeks after having surgery on his brain after suffering a blood clot on it. Our thoughts go out to all those that are close to Maradona. During his career, Maradona was played for Barcelona and Napoli, and it was during his time in Naples where he became a court hero, winning titles with the Italian club and becoming the club's all-time top goal scorer. It took many years for that record to be beaten by Marek Kamsik and since Dries Mertens, obviously. 1986 was probably Diego Maradona's most iconic World Cup, where he finished with five goals and won the Golden Ball for the best player. His obviously most memorable game during that World Cup was against England, where the Argentinian side won 2-1, thanks to first an initially great goal where he just weaved past through the England defence, taking on four or five players and scoring past Peter Shilton, and then the second, which was at the time a controversial goal, which was dubbed the Hand of God. However, it doesn't matter about that now, as we are remembering one of the greats of world football. Brad, what are your... I won't really know much memories about as he retired before Uh us. But neither of us can say we saw his genius Mm. on the the pitch, but... You know, as a, any football fan can say, they know who Diego Maradona is. Yeah, the man is one of the icons. He's just one of the. He, you, you, th- anyone? You mention football's best: Pele, Diego Maradona, George Best, Lionel Messi, Zidane, and Ronaldo. Like they will always be the six. Obviously, people will always argue over the order. But Diego Maradona is always going to be in that conversation. Whether you liked him for his brilliant stuff or didn't like him for his off-the-field antics, he will always be in the conversation as one of the world's best to ever play this game. I guess that as well. It's quite stirring that since he's died, so many video clips have now come out of just how amazing player he actually was. Yes. I think the one I've remembered seeing the most was um, the warm-up video that he did uh, whilst at, uh, I think he was in Napoli and just the stuff you could see 
do him doing during his warm up alone was phenomenal. I mean, the it's just it's just simplicity and tricks, but you can see a man who's clearly enjoying himself to play football, and he looked like he was born to play football. It's because any time we've seen him recently, we just backs like a mad bastard. That he's just no, that's just him being passionate. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's just weird looking at it now, but it's. Mm. Tributes have been pouring in across the world, obviously, since the news of the death. I mean, one of the most powerful pictures I've seen to do with this was, um, I think it was on Thursday morning, I saw this picture, and it was a Boca Juniors fan and a River Plate fan just hugging each other. Now, if you, for those that don't know, them two sides are the two biggest rivalries in Argentina. They absolutely hate each other. There's always protests and fights and stuff going on when them two face each other. But the fact that Diego Maradona can have that impact shows how big and great of a footballer he is, that he can make two rival sides come together and show the emotion. Yeah, I guess like, seeing some of the clips in Argentina the last few days is mental. Yeah. Because his, his body was in, like I don't know where it was, but it was a, it was a building. And you, uh, yes. people could just go and mourn. I was like, Christ, that is... That's... Yes. Mm. And then another iconic picture I've just got, that's something out of my head right now, is um, at La Bombonera, where he played for Boca Juniors. They turned off all the lights yeah. in the stadium except the one which was in the box where his family was and that one just like it just struck home like how powerful yet simple a message could be and then there's also the the san paulo one as well they all that the flares live yeah around it was a nice touch brilliant and then um Yesterday in Napoli, when they came out to have their game in the UEFA Europa League, all players came out wearing number 10 Maradona on their shirts. Andre Villiers-Boas is fuming. (laughs) Oh, that's a ridiculous statement, him saying that he wanted all number 10s retired. Um, But they aren't going to rename the stadium? Yes, Napoli. Yeah, Napoli have said that they are going to rename the stadium to the Diego Maradona Stadium, which is an incredible gesture for someone would, who has... Would have, been, would have been better if they'd done that while he was alive, just to see his reaction to that. Yes. I mean, you, that's how you know how good of a player is. Within hours of him passing, they're renaming the stadium after him, and everyone's coming out with such sad stuff. I mean... Obviously, another legend we mentioned earlier, Pele, said, Sad news today, I have lost a dear friend, and the world has lost a legend. There is so much more to say, but for now, my, may God give his family strength. One day, I hope we will play soccer together in the sky. And what a football game that will be. <laughs> just, just, just something simple like that it can have such powerful like sentiment to it. And it really is one of those next players. And just already envision the scenes everyone just wearing Maradona shirts. Obviously, there will be silence, and it's going to be in an incredible thing to see. And just the final thing you're an icon if you get a skill named after you. Simple as. Yeah. Um, I don't even want to say it's because of how shit it was, but the UK press reaction to this it, it's almost just, not, it's just not going over i mean there you go <laughs> like, it was one of the greatest actors she has right in history the thing is though i'm not even mad at him because if you look at peter shilton in this if you've seen the video of the goal peter shilton doesn't jump he gets beaten in the air by someone that's beaten in the air naturally by someone five foot seven and you're not jumping, you're about an inch off the ground. You deserve to lose. Yeah. And he's obviously tackling it so nicely over these. Yeah. I mean... His face is a rock picture on Good Morning, really. It says a lot when Gazza is the normal one in the room. Yeah, if, if Paul Gascoigne is making you seem like you're a stupid idiot, and he 
you must be. But it also means that the 25th of November is it really is a day when true football greats passed away because early, uh, pre the news of Mario passing, fans were remembering 15 years of George Best passing away as well. So it seems that to be considered a true great, you have to pass on the 25th of November. And our, our thoughts go out to Maradona's family and all those that had close connections with Maradona at the time. So Into Premier League news now. Let's try and lighten the mood. <laughs> Into Premier League news now, and it was announced on Thursday by the UK government that fans will be able to return to games if they are in Tier 2 and Tier 1 of the UK's COVID system scheme. Um, I said, I said, which is coming said, in, it means 10 Premier I said lighten mm-hmm. the mood up. <laughs> can have fans back as of December the 2nd set of fixtures will those 10 Arsenal, Brighton, Chelsea Crystal Palace, Everton, Fulham, Liverpool Southampton, Tottenham, Hotspur and West Ham United all allowed a maximum of 2,000 fans, the rest of the league will not be able to have fans the 2,000 fans do not include away fans so it will just be home fans at these games what are your thoughts on this spread? One of the only times I guess I could say I agree with Mr. Marcello Bielsa and say we have them all back in or don't bother at all. 2,000 fans is yeah. not going to raise much of an atmosphere in a 60,000 seat stadium. No, it's not going to. So, oh, no, in the men's games, 2,000 fans is not, it's nothing. I mean, uh, like you say, I fully agree with Bielsa. Wait until all teams can have fans back or no one's allowed fans back. I mean, I can understand for the lower league teams like League One and Two that, yeah. because they are in dire need for the money. But Premier League clubs, if Man United have been saying they can host 23,000, which even that is not half of the Old Trafford attendance on a normal match day. 2,000, imagine in a, in a stadium like that, is that's not even an away. I think the away team's allocation in the Premier League is set at a minimum of 3,000 fans, usually. So you got less than what team for an away day allocation, which is ridiculous. But yeah, I fully agree with Bielsa. All teams should be able to have fans or none at all. Because, I mean, it's only going to be a couple. I would say by the new year anyway, that fans will probably be allowed more into the stadiums than this current 2000 scheme. I mean, uh, I think the first fixture that is set to be have fans at it is Manchester United versus West Ham next week at the London Stadium. Oh, okay, sir. Uh, because it, there's three games before that, but they're all in the tier three system, which is Villa, Newcastle, Burnley, Everton and Man City, Fulham. Going to be interesting to see what impact the 2,000 fans that uh, have uh, at these games. And I do say, is the men's game is not going to have much impact. Well, obviously, um, talking about the women's game as well, as we do a lot on this show, um, that is going to be actually quite something because um, attendances at women's game is obviously down, and women's football doesn't get a lot of the popularity as it does in the men's game so uh, in the women's super league and championship teams that will be able to welcome back fans are arsenal brighton bristol chelsea everton reading tottenham west ham charlton crystal palace lose liverpool london bees and london city they're all able to welcome back 2000 fans and teams like aston villa birmingham manchester city man united blackburn coventry united durham leicester and Sheffield united don't but at least as i said in the women's game if they can get fans back, that will, will be good because um, there was a lot of worry that the women's game would suffer with uh, this ongoing pandemic due to no fans being allowed into the game. So, like I said, for the lower leagues and women's football, I think it's a good idea that fans are going to be able to get back. But for the Premier League, I think teams that can get like 60 Fifty to 60,000, usually on a home match day, 2,000 is pointless. 
Um, elsewhere, Sky uh, and the other broadcasting companies announced the festive fixtures for the festive period around about the 14th, uh, 15th, I think. That's when they start in their festive period, roughly. So they've announced all the games up until the end of 2020 of what games are going to be shown on Sky, BT, the BBC and Amazon Prime. Let's go, let's go sir. How long is it before the David, the David Mitchell clip comes out? Uh, I'll give it until... We, we'll see it on Boxing Day morning and I think we'll see it just... Tonight, the Titans are back. Just the the, we have football. Admittedly, I do football, love, I do football, love that. Football. <laughs> yeah, although he gets prepared to talk to you, he's one of those that's brilliant. Um, I think the Boxing Day fixtures, uh, just because they're usually the big ones, everyone will want to watch them after Christmas Day. So Boxing Day, we have Leicester versus Man United to start the day off. Then that's followed by Villa, Palace, Fulham, Southampton, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, Newcastle, Everton versus Sheffield United. And then games the following day, Leeds, Burnley, West Ham, Brighton, Liverpool, West Brom, Wolves, Tottenham. And just a word that it must be 2020 because Aston Villa are going to be on the BBC. And at three o'clock. Fuck me. <laughs> oh no. It's going on. Strange stuff <laughs> <laughs> Strange stuff has happened. Elsewhere in the world of football, we'll get back in the Premier League a little bit later on with our uh, predictions and that. But uh, yesterday, FIFA, no, sorry, Wednesday, FIFA announced the nominations for the best men's players, best women's players, best coaches in both, and the best uh, goal of the year from uh, the Pushkash goal. Um, no surprise in some of the nominations. You see Robert Lewandowski there after he had an incredible year. If he uh, doesn't win, so if he doesn't win, mental. Yeah, I think, especially in the men's game, he has to be locked down winner for it. Like, I genuinely don't know. I, I'm trying to think of someone who's had a better year than Lewandowski. No, never, never, no. You can't say, oh... Um, Virgil van Dijk because he was a part of Liverpool's first winning Premier League team ever or you can't say someone like Lionel Messi or Ronaldo because they've just had their usual seasons there's only two Bayern Munich players on this list is really surprising I mean the other being uh, Thiago Alcantara who's now at Liverpool but obviously for last season he was at uh, by Munich. I mean, the rest of the men's list uh, is Cristiano Ronaldo, Sadio Mane, Mbappe, Neymar Jr., Sergio Ramos, Mohamed Salah, and Virgil Van Dijk. S- some of them, like Liverpool, you can understand because that was when uh, when they went on to win the, the Club World Cup, the UEFA Super Cup, and then obviously the Premier League. So that's why you got um, a lot of Liverpool players there. De Bruyne because he had a phenomenal season with Man City. I mean, can you... Ramos because he led Real Madrid to the title in uh, Spain. But like Neymar is just someone I don't understand really as well being on that list. Mm-hmm. I feel like Mbappe had more of a standout year than Neymar so, did. Wait, so Neymar got on there and Mbappe didn't? No, Mbappe is on there. Okay. Yeah. It's a strange one. Uh, else, right, so we'll keep going through the list. So uh, the best FIFA women's player nominations are Lucy Bronze, Delphine Cascarino, Karen Penilla Harder, Jennifer Hermoso, Jiso Yun, Sam Kerr, Saki Kamagagi, Jennifer Marashan, Viviana Miedema and Wendy Renard. So is that, is that an appropriate uh, list for you? Yeah, I'm happy with that list. I love uh, heavily dominated by Leon players, which is understandable because they won a, I think it's fourth in a row now. Um, Champions League, a uh, great season in France as well. Um, Chelsea players, G, Sam Kerr, uh, no problems with them. Penilla Harder because she had a great season while she was out of war. 
Wolfsburg and um, now moved to Chelsea. Caroline Hansen was phenomenal for Barcelona. And then obviously Viviana Miedema is just Viviana Miedema. She had a she finished top scorer in the Champions League last year with 10 goals. And um, from early October, she's had a great start to the season in the WSL. So got no complaints with that list. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who wins that. Then we've got the best FIFA men's goalkeeper. So that list has Alison Becker of Liverpool, Thibaut Courtois, Kaylo Navas, Manuel Neuer, Jan Black, and Marc-Andre Stegen. Who would you say the winner for that, that would be? It's Neuer. It's, it's just Neuer all day. Yeah. Again, how, how's Stegen on there? Yeah, that one is more debatable. Uh, I mean, yeah, for me, it's, it goes Neuer 1, Oblak 2, and then Alisson 3. See, I think, I think Alisson's ahead of Oblak. Or, yeah. yeah, them two are a toss-up, but yeah, I think it should be nailed on for Neuer to win this, considering the phenomenal season Germany ha- uh, Germ- he had at Bayern Munich. Uh, the best FIFA women's goalkeepers are Anne-Catherine Berger from Chelsea, Sarah Budaby of... Leon, Christine Endler of PSG, Hedvig Lindahl of Wolfsburg and now Atletico Madrid, Alyssa Naya of Chicago Red Stars and Ellie Roebuck of Manchester City. Again, no surprises there. I think Sarah Buhardi will win it of uh, Leon because, I mean, how can you not give it to a Leon player considering how great of a year they had? And then the best men's coach... Nominations are Hans Dieter Flick, Jurgen Klopp, Julian Lopetegi, and Zinedine Zidane. Which we get the, so just get the, what's the word? I forgot uh, the phrase. I forgot the uh, phrase. It's gone. But you know what I'm on about. Obviously, we've how's Bielsa nominated, basically. In a way, yes. I mean, I don't know either because, I mean, well, he won promotion to the Premier League with Leeds United for the first, for their first time in 14 years. That's a good feat on its own, but... Yeah, like yeah. Within the season, though, they didn't look really like the runaway team of that championship, did they? It was always a toss-up of who would join them, like between West Brom, Fulham and Brentford. Like, I don't feel like... Bielsa had that good of enough of a season with Leeds to warrant being nominated as one of the best coaches. I mean, mean Hansi Flick, obviously. Uh, he, he, go on. I think he get he's got in because it's it's always looked at as a monumental task that he's put Leeds in that position, which is strange, and also they don't understand as much. Yeah, I mean, because it's not just Leeds like they went from relegation battlers last season or the season before, should I say, to uh, title challenges the following season. For the past eight or nine years, minimum, they've been challenging for promotion and in the playoffs, or there or thereabouts, or just missing out on the playoffs. Like, he's done a miracle in there. And warrants, like, they didn't go unbeaten all season. They didn't go on to win the FA Cup or the Carabao Cup. They just had a normal season, really. It's not. We're not dis, disregarding anything he's done. He has done amazing with Leeds, and they deserve yeah. to. They deserve to worship him as much as they want. But you can't put him in compared that to list. the other coaches. With the successes Leeds coaches, Han- it's not. It's not comparable. Like Hansi Flick, he's done phenomenal. I even think the word phenomenal is an understatement for how good of a year he had at Bayern Munich. The way he got them turned around after Nico Kovac left, I think they've lost maybe two or three times in his tenure since taking over. So, because just by devil's advocate, is that all on him? Oh, I think so. I think he's a good coach, and well, you can. I mean, you don't think Klopp yeah. has a chance. Yeah, Klopp has a chance for the getting the way Liverpool played. I wouldn't be surprised if he did go to Klopp. 
I think it's going to be between Klopp and Flick for me. Lopetegui for um, having Sevilla win the Europa League and get back That's into Champions League football. Yeah, but I think Anyone the season to how it finished. Well, yeah. It just seems like it's Sevilla's tournament. And then Zidane oh, winning the title quite comfortably with... Well, no, not this year, it's not. But uh, winning the title quite comfortably with uh, Real Madrid. Um, no real surprises there, apart from Bielsa. And then the best women's coaches, you have Luis Cortez of Barla, Rito Guarino of Juve, M. Hayes of Chelsea, Stefan Lurch of Wolfsburg, Helga Risa of LSK Kavina, Jean-Luc Vasseur of Lyon and Serena Wiegmann of the Dutch national team. For me, it's between uh, Serena Wiegmann and Jean-Luc Vasseur. Um, for those who don't know, um, and our English listeners, uh, if you were to look up Jean-Luc Vasseur, you would uh, think it is uh, the singer James Blunt, because honestly, they could pass for twins. The <laughs> that close and obviously um, what he's done with Leon is a phenomenal feat obviously winning the fourth consecutive Champions League with them and how they've uh, just been dominant in women's football over the last few years and then Serena Wiegmann having the Netherlands qualify with a perfect record for the Euros in 20 which would have been next year but uh, pushed back to 2022 due to Covid and they've just looked phenomenal since uh, losing the World Cup to America in the summer of 2019. Um, the winners of all these awards will be announced on the 17th of December at or in Zurich. Um, most likely going to be done all because of uh, COVID restrictions. Right. Um, back to the Premier League now. We've got our full fixture list to look forward to uh, starting this evening as Crystal Palace welcome Newcastle United to Southhurst Park at 8 o'clock. Um, this game is going to be shown on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, looking ahead to the game, Crystal Palace are obviously going to be without Bar, uh, who's missing the game due to Injury, I believe, is what Roy Hodgson said. Wait, Zaha, no? Yes, I'm sure Zaha's not in this game. Zaha, Zaha's self-isolating. Oh yes, that was he's still in self-isolation after testing positive earlier on this week for COVID-19. Um, it's going to be an interesting game, this one, I think. Uh, oh, God, the, the, the word interesting in a game between Roy Hodgson and Steve Bruce. Come on. Come on. True. How dare you? Not to, not, to the, not to the most entertaining manager. I think back to the other Friday when we had, was it Burnley versus Brighton last week? Was that the last uh, Friday? I think it's a massive uh, step up in terms of entertainment value. I mean, it wasn't Burnley Brighton, but I don't remember what game it was. It was. It was. It wasn't last week, but it was the week before Burnley Brighton. The start of the month, the sixth of November. We had Burnley Brighton when it was the boring nil-nil game. Yeah. But I feel like this one will have a bit more to it. Hopefully, uh, looking into the I'm game. Scared to attack one now. Yes. Uh, looking into the game a little bit, Crystal Palace have won two of their last three Premier League meetings with Newcastle, as many as they had in their first 15 games against them in the competition. After winning the f- their first four Premier League away games at Crystal Palace between 1994 and 2013, Newcastle are winless in their last five top-flight visits to South Harris Park against them, drawing three, losing two. Um, I think Palace are definitely going to be the favourites going into this even without Zahar um, you got to say a win for Palace uh, can move level on points with Everton whilst uh, Newcastle win they will actually go 
above Palace in the league and be level on points with West Ham and Wolverhampton Wanderers. Then Saturday's fixtures, we have Brighton welcoming Liverpool to the Amex Stadium. Uh, this one will be live on BT Sport. Um, I think Liverpool lineup is going to be pretty much the same that they had last week. I'm not too sure if anyone is fully Sal- back off their injury Sal- list, apart from Mo Salah is going to be back. Sal- uh, as long as he returns. And I think he had enough negative tests to be fit to play. Um, no Lambertie for Brighton. Yeah, as, he, as he's suspended. Yeah, I thought it was quite um, last week. Yeah, I think the first one was definitely a yellow card, but I think the sending off, yes, it was a foul, but not every foul is a bookable yeah, offence. And I that, don't think that was. It's that mindset of the referees lot towards the end of the game when they here at the moment, you make a foul, yeah, you know, for that right at the end, you're getting. Yeah. It is uh, definitely going to be a big miss for uh, Graham Potter's side. A little bit into the game, uh, Brighton have never won a top flight home game against Liverpool, losing all three in the Premier League by an aggregate score of 9-2. Indeed, the Seagulls' only home victory over Liverpool in league competition came in the second tier in January of 1961 when they won Liverpool have won each of their last nine meetings with Brighton in all competitions scoring 27 goals in the process and conceding just seven I mean you've got to say Liverpool obviously heavy favourites welcoming back Salah as well I think this is going to be a rampant Liverpool I still wouldn't underestimate Brighton, but I would have fancied them a bit more if Lamptey was in, just purely because how far he gets forward. And the way Liverpool are with that high line, yeah. he would have completed a good advantage for them. Oh, yeah, 100%. He would have made Andy Robertson defend a lot more than what he usually does against the lesser teams in the I league. Still, I, I still expect uh, them to be like that. Go on. I still expect them to be like that, though. Yeah. Uh, next up sees Manchester City. Three o'clock again on BT Sports. Um, Guardiola's side will be wanting to play a lot better than they did in terms of taking their chances uh, against Tottenham last week when they lost 2 0. Um, I think this is one where you know what Man City, what Man City side is going to show up, and they're going to just absolutely thump Burnley. I can see this one. See City scoring about four or five here. No disrespect to Burnley, but I think this is a Man City. Man City side will be wanting to start their league season now and actually start performing well. So you firmly believe that this will be the first time they show their ruthlessness this season. Yeah. I think it will start to slowly kick in motion their season. Because it's got to eventually. Yeah, they have to. Um, A little into the game, Manchester City have won their last six meetings with Burnley in all competitions by an aggregate score of 23-1. to Burnley have won just one of their last 12 Premier League meetings with Man City during three, losing eight, beating them 1-0 in March of 2015. The Clarets have shipped more Premier League goals against the Citizens than they have versus any side 34. I mean, and another one was uh, the last three games, uh, Man City have won 5-0. And the history of the Football League only not to count won four consecutive home games by five plus goals against a specific opponent across all competitions doing so against Port Vale between October 1893 and February 1907. I mean just looking into that is not good reading at all for Sean Dutch's side is it? No I guess not. <laughs> but, uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll go in with the game plan obviously. Sit back. Yeah, they're away, not so. going to yeah, they're not going to do anything unburnly like They're not going to try and 
do something unconventional that would say ask you uh, why are they doing that but yeah I'm fully expecting a Manchester City win there uh, the half five game on Saturday seeds Carlo Ancelotti's Everton side welcome Leeds United to Goodison Park uh, this one on Sky Sports main event um, I think this has got to be up there with one of the games of the weekend yeah, you'll see me. Because you'll see me on camera scrambling right now. Because I'm just saying, Luca Dean is injured and he's in my fancy team. <laughs> yes, I'm scrambling. Uh, he's got a him. ankle injury. Yes, uh, so Luca Dinier is uh, suffered an ankle injury in training. Uh, it was reported yesterday and is set to miss between two to three months of action with uh, the injury. Uh, not too sure who they will be playing at left back um though it's obviously going to be a big miss for them uh because i'll have they might um play ben godfrey out at left back or uh mason holgate but it is a big blow for ancelotti's side um i'm not too sure if Leeds have any injury concerns looking into the game, as far as I'm aware. But uh, like I was saying, this has definitely got the chance to be one of the games of the weekends. A bit of match facts looking into it. Everton are unbeaten in their last 13 top flight home games against Leeds, winning six, drawing seven. And their last loss against Leeds was 3-2 in August of 1990. Indeed, in the Premier League, Everton have only faced Fulham at Goodison Park more often without defeat than they have Leeds. Uh, Leeds won the last meeting with Everton in all competitions, winning 2-1 in a League Cup tie in September 2012. Their last league victory against the Toffees came in December 2001. Two very tactical managers, uh, tactically astute managers, and... It's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. Yeah, I'm intrigued for it. I think it's, like I said, it's going to be one of the best games this weekend. Um, the final game on Saturday sees Slav Bilic's West Brom welcome Chris Wilder's Sheffield United to Hawthorns at 8 o'clock on Sky Sports Premier League. Both sides are struggling for form this season. Uh, in the relegation zone and we'll be hoping to get their first win um a win for either side would and results go their way would see them move out of the relegation zone this weekend a little bit of match facts about this this is the first ever premier league meeting between the two sides and it will be the 885th different fixture to be played in the Premier League. Sheffield United won both meetings the last time they faced West Brom in a top-flight campaign, winning 2-0 away and 3-0 at home in the 1972-73 season. Sheffield United have won three of their last five games against West Brom in a run stretching back to December 2001. The Blades have kept four clean sheets in those five games. Um you got to say, this is a perfect chance for either manager to get their first win of the season and start to push on for a bit more chance of safety. But I think this has got a draw all written all over it, this one, to be honest. I think it has. This is either the draw Question or Gary, actually. Mm. I was going to say... If either side loses this quite badly, do you think the manager of the losing team will be under pressure and could possibly face the sack? I think Billich more than Wilder. Right. I feel like Sheffield United are a lot more... Yeah. Again, forget the word. Safe. Yeah, they're not going to seem more safe in terms of the manager. They're not just going to yeah, randomly yeah. sack him just because yeah, of because of who he is. Yeah, and because of who he is, everything he's done for them, they're not going to be so hasty. Yeah. Just getting rid of. Them. They're not going to panic, I guess. Whereas a fellow West Brom would. Yeah. 
just because I've just because I've known I've seen him do that many times before. Oh yeah, uh, we saw it last season are. when they sat down. Last season. Last season. I'm sure Billich was there the whole of last season. Yeah, yeah. I that was the season before when they obviously then yeah. played from the Premier League, and then Darren, I think it was the end of the 17 season. Darren Moore yeah. came in for like the last was, six games. It was it was the yeah it was the eighteen nineteen season that he got sacked because they obviously played Villa in the playoffs and failed. Yeah. As I say, with the smoke <laughs> But yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Billich is under more pressure than uh, Chris Wilder there. Sunday's fixtures get underway at two o'clock on the south coast as Ralph Hasenhutl's Southampton welcome Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United to the south coast. Game kicking off on Sky Sports at 2pm. Southampton are winless in their last eight Premier League games with Manchester United drawing five, losing three since a 1-0 win at Old Trafford in January 2016. However, four of the last five games against the Red Devils have ended level. Manchester United haven't lost any of their last nine Premier League away games at Southampton, winning five, drawing four. Their only defeat at St Mary's in the competition came back in August 2003. United are starting to look somewhat decent this season now. Yeah, they're in a bit of a good run of four. Um, a victory would see them just go a point behind the Saints. <laughs> was You right. go and beat a team that you expected to beat 4-1 and now suddenly everything's fine again. No, I think that if you if in the grand scheme of things Man United are actually I think everyone's thinking they're having a more bad season than they actually are. But if you look at it on the in league form, they're actually higher than both Arsenal and Man City. Yet, that Man United are just doing the worst out of all the three teams, which is confusing. I mean, yes, they had the big loss to Tottenham the other month when they lost six one to them, but they're above both Manchester City and Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal, you can you can probably say, you know, you could be ahead of them anyway whether it was a regular season and that, but Pep Guardiola doesn't seem to be facing the same criticism that the two managers, the two other managers are. Um, Southampton are having a phenomenal season under Ralph Hasenhutl and a victory for them could go for Tottenham and Liverpool. Uh, oh, they'll go level and points with Tottenham for uh, a few hours, not necessarily Liverpool, depending on their result earlier on in the weekend. Uh, following game on Sunday sees the big one as Frank Lampard welcomed Jose Mourinho's Tottenham to Stamford Bridge at half past four on Sky Sports main event. The um, versus the apprentice is what. This guy are going to call the game 100% the master oh, yeah, versus the they've apprentice. Already they've already done it, we just know. Yeah, we hear what it's going to be like though. Sky hype it up to be brilliant. It's going to be a dull one. I mean, Spurs are looking phenomenal this season in the league. Because it was interesting last year when they faced something. And uh, Chelsea are looking quite distant. So it was interesting last year when Lampard got the better of him. We wouldn't count him out this time. But it was been about this time last year, was it? Was he, was he still United manager at this point? Or, or the uh, no, 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 wasn't he's, he? He's, been, he's been Spurs manager just over a year now. I think it was a year earlier on this week that uh, he was appointed Spurs manager. Um, and I, th- I do think one of these first fixtures in charge of Tottenham was against Frank Lampard's uh, Chelsea, if I remember correctly. Though I may be uh, wrong there. Um, both teams are looking really good this season in the league and in Europe, um, with both teams picking up victories earlier on in the week. 
However, like I said, I think this is going to be the game where it's hyped up too much, but I don't think it's going to live up to the billing. A bit of match facts into the game. Chelsea have won their last three Premier League games against Spurs more than, than they had in their previous eight against them. They last won more consecutively games against them in the competition between 2000 of January and 2002. Um, Spurs have just won one of their last 34 away games against Chelsea in all competitions, losing the last three in a row since a 3-1 victory back in April 2018. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see if it's actually going to be an entertaining game as it's going to be led to believe, but for me, I don't see it. The final game on Sunday sees Mikel Arteta's Arsenal play host to Nuno Espirito Santo Wolverhampton Wanderers on Sky Sports Premier League. Wolves are having a decent season, currently sitting in ninth place on 14 points with Arsenal down in 12, uh, 13 points. Uh, I mean, they're not going to put the pressure on Mikel Arteta. Obviously, he's not going to get the sack, but I think questions should be starting to get asked if they lose this game. Mm. I mean, the questions are already being asked. Yeah, but I think, I mean, it's getting asked by the fans more than the pundits, I feel, at this stage. It's more... It's fairly. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit of match facts into this game. Arsenal have lost just one of their last 19 top flight meetings with Wolves, losing 3-1 at Molyneux April 2019. Wolves are winless in their last nine away games against Arsenal since a 3-2 victory in September of 1979. However, each of their last three visits to the Emirates have ended in a 1-1 draw. For me, though, I think there's just something about this Wolves side that are going to do better than Arsenal, and they've got more chance of uh, winning the game and putting in a decent performance than Arsenal do. I just feel like there's too many mistakes in this Arsenal team. Mm. I still think it's got even, but you're right on the mistakes. Yeah, I think it's it it's heavily even, but I think I'd just give Wolves that slight edge. And then on Monday night, uh, Brendan Rodgers' Leicester welcomed Scott Parker's Fulham to the King Power Stadium at half past five on Sky Sports Premier League. The Foxes are currently sitting in fourth place. If results go their way this weekend, they could be sitting at the top of the Premier League come the end of Monday, or they could uh, be level on points with Chelsea. Um, you got to say, um, although we didn't mention them in the review show earlier on this week, but you've got to actually say it's a four-way title race if you include Leicester. It's a three-way title race. I don't believe Leicester are in this. Come on. What the, the level no, of points I don't. with Chelsea? No, so I don't think they'll have enough as the season goes on to be anywhere near it. You think that out of the four, they're just they're going to be the more likely to slip away? I, I still think they'll be around the top six, but they're not going to yeah, be near the top. Yeah, challenge for the title. And if they are, mm. this will just shame me. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I plan on I plan on, and if they're at the if they win the league, especially. I'm going to play this clip back to you at the end of the season and make you regret your words. Fulham are the strugglers in the league as well as West Brom and Sheffield United. Uh, they sit in 18th place with only four points and they've conceded their joint most goals, conceding 18. you got to say, Scott Parker's side aren't really looking that good at all and I think this Leicester team can absolutely thump them. It definitely has that potential. This is quite aptly named the Vardy show. Yes. I think he is definitely... going to go off in this game, which is why I've triple captained him. <laughs> Very smart decision. Uh, a little bit of match facts into the game. It's when he comes down there that go on. It's when he comes down there that he has to like <laughs> I don't think you will have to. Uh, Leicester won their last Premier League meeting with Fulham 3-1 in March 2019. Their first victory in six attempts against them in the Premier League, drawing three, losing two. 
Fulham have kept a clean sheet in 67% of their Premier League meetings with Leicester. Only against Derby do they have a better record in the Premier League, 75%. However, they conceded in both meetings against Leicester the last time they met in 2018-2019. Leicester have won both of their Monday Premier League games so far in 2020 by an aggregate score of 8-1. The Foxes have never won three consecutive Premier League games played on a Monday before. However, I think they will do this time because, like we said, Leicester are in great form and then Fulham are just in no form whatsoever. And the final game of this weekend's fixes sees the Battle of Clariton Blue as David Moyes welcomes Dean Smith's Aston Villa to the London Stadium at 8 o'clock on Sky Sports Premier League and main event. Take it away with the game, Brad. What are you expecting? Just to say, we gave them their kits. Look it up. The story is that we gave them their colours. Was this something from like back in the early 1900s? In the, in the Victorian times when we were the best. One of the most predominant sides back in the early 1900s. And we were the Mad City of Adair. Just looking Yes. Both teams are 7th and 8th with Villa, uh, the team ahead on 15 points, West Ham on 14. Um, both teams having good seasons, good to have to say. Um, a little bit of match facts into the game. West Ham have lost just once of the last eight Premier League meetings with Aston Villa, losing 1-0 in May 2015. Both meetings between the sides last season ended in draws. Aston Villa are winless in their last five away games against West Ham, failing to score in four of those visits since a 2-1 victory in April 2011. Winless in our last five away games against West Ham, was that? Yes. I, mean, I don't believe we've lost away from home this season. Um, I'm trying to recall. Don't, trying to don't think. So we've lost three games this season. You beat you beat Fulham away. You beat Leicester away one nil. You beat Arsenal away three 0 They're the only away games you've played this season, and you've yeah. won all of them. Correct. Uh, was Leicester on Monday night? Um, no, Leicester was Sunday. Sunday. So that makes Full, it. The Fulham game uh, this in back in September was Monday night. It was, but I mean. Let's face it, there was a game after that that was played on a Monday night, and if it goes anything like that one, I'll be very satisfied. Yes, definitely so. Um, but it's, it's, see, I'm going into this with the mindset that oh, we'll take a draw. Yeah, I think this has got a draw written all over it for me. I think both teams are playing really well, and I think there's just going to be that bit where they just cancel each other out, and it'll be a, a draw. Um, I, I, I'm very worried about the absence of Barkley. How uh, long is he out for with his hamstring injury? Well, well, we haven't had the confirmation, but we're, we've heard stuff go around that it could be two weeks, but nothing right. actual. Like, we've not added any information yet. We're still waiting for Smith to announce. To his presser. Yeah. Is his press conference later on today? You know, I would gather it would be. Yeah. Um, might, might even happen now. I'll just research. You carry on. I was actually just going to head into our uh, Premier League predictions, but um, before we wait, get onto that, um, wait, you, you say you call it Premier League predictions. I've given it a bit of, a bit of spice into the mix. Cool. Go on. So, as of right now, the Predictions League will now have four Premier League games. Mm hmm. And two wild card options. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Throwing the spice in there. I like that a lot. Uh, Fire away with these then. So, first option. We have tonight's grueling clash between Palace and Newcastle. Okay. Um, I think Palace took this one. I'm going to go Palace to win 2-1. 2-1. Mm-hmm. 
about Ogon One of Palace. Okay. Up second, we have the half five clash of Everton and Leeds. Uh, oh, Jesus. I'm going to go with Everton to win 3 2. Potential for the first bold prediction. 1 1. That okay. Arsenal game was that Arsenal game was maybe been, maybe the they've worked on this, themselves defensively. So let's just see. What's game three then? Well, I couldn't add no, this one. It's Southampton and Manu. Um. Again, I think it's going to be a very good game because uh, the Saints are looking really good. Go on. This question is Danny Ings fit? Is he back? I don't think so. No, um, as far as I'm away, Danny Ings isn't available. That's great. That's great. Two-one Southampton. Okay, uh, I'm going to go with United to win 2-0. God, this week's going to either be awful for me or just absolutely glorious. Yeah. Game four? That's the obvious. It's Chelsea something. Uh, it's going to be... Uh, I really don't know because... It's one of these games where it could either be one of the most entertaining games and high scoring, or it'd be a Mourinho masterclass and he just parks the bus. And based on their last game against Man City, I'm expecting something similar, and I'm going to go Spurs to win 2-1. Oh, you crafty bastard. That is the exact same thing I've gone with. <laughs> oh, I dearly went for that. I dearly went for the Desmond, but then I thought, oh, yeah, Mourinho is going to... Yeah, I 100% see that coming in. Uh, game five. Ready for your wild card, wild card, ready for your wild card options. Mm-hmm. I travel to Syria. Over to Italy. Is it as Napoli welcome oh, Roma? Oh, you're spot on. <sighs> My knowledge of football this week is brilliant. See, this is down on me in the wild card options because I don't follow European football. Um, Roma are having a great season up in third at the minute with uh, 17 points whilst Napoli are down in sixth three points behind uh, Paolo Fonseca's side um, I think Napoli home team the one are going to do they, let's get my words right they are wanting to do this for Diego Maradona, and I can see them winning 3 2. I have gone for 2 1 Napoli. Okay, and the sixth and final, sixth is it? One, two, it is the sixth. Yes, what's the sixth game? Are we staying That's in Italy? Good. No, this time we are taking a COVID safe travel. We're going to Spain. Ah, Espania as Real Sociedad versus Villarreal. I've gone even more wild card in a battle of mid-table. Barcelona, Osasuna. That is exactly what I've got. Game taking place on Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock UK time or 2pm if you're in Spain. Um, Is it sort of a derby as well? Technically, it's not so not near or am I mixing that up with... Well, um, it's not a derby, derby, but they're not. There's not much love. <laughs> have you gone prediction wise? Oh, you go first. Um, I'm gonna go with Barcelona winning three one. <sighs> oh, darling, it's like balls on the table. I'm going for two one Osasuna. Wow. Um, they're not uh, rivals with Barcelona. It's a uh, Real Madrid. That's, that was it. I knew it was the one that they classed themselves as rivals. Yeah. Yes, the rivals uh, between Real Zaragoza, Real Madrid, and uh, Athletic Bilbao, because of uh, them both being in the Basque region of the country. Yeah, as I learned, they might travels to Barcelona. Uh, yeah, so very good oh, game. Right. 
picked there. Uh, even the two wildcard games, I think it's a definitely interesting feed that we've got uh, to look at. Um, I've just realised, I've looked at my predictions and uh, four of them have gone for 2-1. You actually have. Oh, I've I have. only done that, that one. That's, no. what, have, what have I done? <laughs> I've only done that twice. No, bollocks. So between us, we've got we've got 12 predictions and half of them are 2-1. I definitely can't change it now. <laughs> yeah, we're going to leave it for this week. Um, I've myself. Any other news before we finish off today? Not that I've seen. Okay, uh, we'll be back at the start of next week to have a look back at all the Premier League's uh, action, all the big talking points across the weekend. Uh, hopefully, we've got some uh, more drama in the MLS after last week's craziness. Um, and we'll see how we get on in our predictions league until uh, should be Monday we do this uh we will see you then hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend and uh obviously in america enjoy your thanksgiving weekend and we will see you then it's goodbye for me and it's goodbye for my co-host brad goodbye and we'll see you soon